Hello and welcome to Red Shirts, a podcast about Star Trek. I'm your host, Jake Donaldson, and I'm joined as ever by my co-hosts, Maddie Hugh Culber Churchhouse and Nathan Cucumber Thomas. <laughs> Without further ado, let's engage. I'd be a cucumber, you know. <laughs> the cats like, would hate you. It was like the least, the less. Even better. Who would hate you? Cats. Have you cats. never, have you never oh, seen those yeah, videos? God, they fucking hate cucumbers. I was going to say. It's one of the best things you can do on YouTube is Google cats and cucumbers. and like. <laughs> oh, I have a new thing to do. They go absolutely fucking mental. It's brilliant. <laughs> you know what I was thinking is that that was just like one of the less lewd versions of saying Benedict Cumberbatch's name wrong. Like, he's become like <laughs> instead of Nathan Thomas, it would be like Nonkadink Tumble Snatch or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, bendy I, well, I've got a new Twitter name. Um, <laughs> I should I should have done those the, when we when we first did the, uh, the the Into Darkness episode. I should have then done a run of different uh, Benedict Cumberbatch jokes as Nathan's name in the intro. We haven't done a film in a long time. That's probably because they're really hard and a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we've done we all the good ones. <laughs> No, we, have, we, we haven't, haven't done, done the whale beyond. rescue. And we haven't seen the whales. That's true. We haven't and done the whales. That's We have to um, do the whales. Oh, we've got Insurrection and Nemesis still. To uh, I, I want to do a Nemesis, though, because I want to make Maddie watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nemesis is not as awful as people like meme about okay. it. But it's yeah, still not it, like, good. It is bad, though, um, isn't it? Though? If I go in with no expectations, will I be like surprisingly impressed yeah if you go in with no with expectations, the worst if you, expectations if you, ever if you go into it thinking this isn't going to be a film then you'll be <laughs> pleasant, pleasantly surprised because it is a film that's the one thing it, i can it, say it's about a fight it. scene is what never it's one rolling fight scene from about halfway through <laughs> yeah Excellent. that's true i think that's a fair summary of what nemesis is but we're not talking about Nemesis, are we? No, we're because not. we got excited last week. No. And I'm still excited, and I want to talk about this one. Exactly. Last week, if listeners weren't uh, paying attention, <laughs> um, we looked at episode one of season four of Star Trek Discovery, um, which was called Kobayashi Maru, and we all had some exciting... Uh, thoughts about it uh, and Nathan and Maddie hadn't seen any of the rest of season four yet so we've decided to do a run of episodes where they watch it uh, in consequence and we've uh, we've now reached episode two which is called Anomaly uh, so uh, season four episode two of Star Trek Discovery Nathan would you like to describe the plot in your patented manner sure after a recap we see some blurry footage of the debris and birds and Booker's last moments of consciousness from the previous episode. Captain Burnham rouses him from reviewing the footage, holding him, but she's called away. And despite trying to put it on hold, Burnham leaves the grieving book. Burnham reunites with Saru, and the two embrace and discuss the situation. Book is obsessing over every detail, and is the only known survivor of the event that... That claimed his planet. Um, he's in a great deal of pain, yet is entirely closed off, in shock and without a response. Saru so asks Burnham how she is coping. She's obsessing over the losses of um, her, uh, of her three Starflight crew. 
Burnham changes the subject, observing the badge on Saru's uniform. Not the Federation one, the symbol of being a council member. Saru has actually been offered the command of USS Sojourner, but Saru points out that Giorgio knew the value of a trusted set of eyes. So, Captain Burnham, do you need a number one? In a briefing, the Discovery crew reveal that the anomaly is five light-years across. It is a roving binary black hole, two black holes that are merging together. Quajon, the planet was too close and got torn apart. The delegates are shocked, begin to ask questions, but there's no data. The Neva, still not the Federation members, offer their Science Institute to assist, and uh, also caution against civil unrest. President Rilek, um, the Federation presence, notes this anomaly threatens all equally, and Discovery needs to go get some data so they can try and predict its path. Tilly and Saru talk. Saru seems somehow taller. He has more swagger now. The two missed each other. Saru takes the bridge, and Mr. Saru is agreed on as his form of address. Burnham opens a shipwide hail. She briefs her crew, beginning on what has been lost and ending on a vow to make sure it doesn't happen again. Black alert, let's fly. After the titles, Tilly and Stamets conclude the anomaly is bizarre. Scans are telling them little and it doesn't match their models. Taking Discovery to the distance required to get the data they need would put it at serious risk. Bug ship can do it. It's small enough, yet powerful enough to resist the pull. Uh, Burnham orders Detmer to get ready. Book demands to speak with her. He wants to fly his ship. Burnham worries about his mental shape, but... Book points out, Burnham can't order him. He's not Starfleet. Put me in the brig or shoot me down, otherwise I'm going. Meanwhile, Grey is staring at, um, Grey. Adira and Culber are helping Grey, um, create a new body. It's a Sun-type synthetic that was once used on an Admiral Picard or somebody or other. Um, Grey wants to remake his body properly, which means removing a mole on his hand. Burnham and Saru meet on Holographic Vulcan. Burnham uh, finds it helps to get away sometimes. Burnham tells Zora, the computer, who has picked its own name apparently, and that's not horrifying, to disable (laughs) the holographic filter around her quarters. Burnham says that the captain instincts in her know the book is the right man for the, the mission, but she's worried about him. Saru has a few ideas to assist in these conundrums. In the next scene, we see Burnham, Burnham talking to Stamets, um, who she wants to go in the cloud with her. So, she's going to send both people who can operate the spore drive into a dangerous cloud with no hope of return. Well, actually, we want you there as a hollow um, to help guide Book. Stamets isn't thrilled, um, but he nonetheless agrees. He's worried about what he says to Booker, and Colmore just says, Say the things you wanted people to say when you lost someone. What follows is an awkward scene of Stamets trying to help in the worst possible ways. Book is irritated at his minder and the tether that Discovery is insisting on putting on him so they can pull him back. Stamets, shut up and scan. Book will fly. Book starts to take a few hits as he gets into the dust layer of his former home and he thinks about what was happening. He refocuses again. And then Discovery is hit by a subspace gravitational wave, wrecking the bridge and briefly leaving everyone floating around. Discovery won't survive uh, many more hits like this. Book and Stamets argue on the ship. They still need more time. Uh, Discovery is being hit left, right, and center. Something's changed in the anomaly. Adira and Tilly have a brief spat. 
Kulba calms Tilly down. Good news! Tilly knows when the next one will hit. Bad news! It's two seconds from now! One, two, bang! Um, they can predict the hits, but they're so irregular and random, it's gonna be hard. Burnham says they need to pull out. Saru suggests, or oh, we could release the tether. How much longer does Stamets need? A few more minutes, maybe five, but promises he can do this. Michael sits back in her chair and gives the order to let the tether go. Discovery pulls away from the cloud and lets Book, Book and Stamets do it solo. Burnham needs a way to get him out, so start thinking, everyone. Stamets and Book continue the argument. Stamets is trying to be sensitive. Book thinks that they don't get on because Stamets' ego's bruised now that he's not the only one that can operate the spore drive. But Stamets says, eh, it's because Book was the only one that saved his family. He was helpless and he hates the idea of that. Stamets reveals he hasn't been able to send the complete data back. It lives entirely on Book's ship, so yeah, we do need to get back. Adira and Tilly, though, come up with a plan. Hit the gravitational wave at, a right, uh, at the right angle and surf it. Uh, Burnham has the hologram turned into programmable matter and gives Book a mark, but he misses it. Stamets points out to, to him, you can try again, Book, but Book feels like it's over. Nobody's here. He's not even... Here, really. Stamets says he is, and so is everyone, but Book gets distracted by another vision of his nephew. Burnham hails him, calls him. Saru and Stamets suggest that what he needs isn't a captain, but a partner. So, Michael opens a private channel. She needs him to know there is nothing he could have done. Book feels he failed his family, but Michael says he didn't. She won't fail him. The entire crew is with him. Please, Book, trust me. Burnham coaxes him back to the chair and gives him a new mark. There is quiet. Then Book's voice comes through the comms. Nice work, team. Stamets and Book reconcile. Stamets thanks Book. The two discuss the arm tingles you get from the spore drive, and Stamets promises to figure out all that data for Booker. Tilly finds Culber, and the two talk about how Tilly feels pressure. Things no longer feel the way they used to be. They feel off. Can she talk about Culber professionally? And uh, then they part in the most adorable fashion it is possible <laughs> for two characters to part in. Adira makes their way to their quarters, Grey comforts them, the two bond over their plans and lives and futures and what a big day it was. Burnham and Booker meet up, Booker admits he wasn't ready and Burnham admits um, that um, she didn't really know what to do. And finally, Book starts to open up. Tilly meets with Saru and... Explains something. The anomaly, the anomaly changed direction, almost in response to their arrival, so its path, presently, is unpredictable. It will move through the universe without warning, despite their data and models. The camera pans out to show the scale of the threat, and the episode ends. Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> it's very like that, isn't it? Yeah, it's very uh, sort of like a big kind of almost like a cliffhanger that isn't a cliffhanger because like my my overarching feeling about this episode is that it's really cool but nothing happens. Um, well, it's not that nothing happens. It's 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 a utilitarian episode, right? Like the I think what makes this episode better quality than say. Episodes of other series that are just getting from point A to B is all the little character moments that <laughs> they put in. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Which are still not like, you know, they're not like... They're good, they're very well acted. I'm not criticising either the acting or writing when I say this. 
but they're the sort of thing which, if they were absent from a series, like they're not special, right? Like they're they're good, well written character moments, but you would have to be a truly awful, awful writer to not think to include them. Yeah, yeah. Not like you know, yeah, unique and special. I think this but episode they are amazing, really good. I think this episode was oh, a yeah, character yeah, it's great. episode. And, like, whereas last episode was like, we're going to do 12,000 things at once and just slam yeah, them yeah. together. This one was like, okay, they've got one thing. They're going to do it. It's going to take the whole episode, but they're going to really explore it. You're going to see loads of characters interact in really interesting and satisfying ways. It's going to be really emotional. You're going to feel You're going to feel all the feelings. Like, Sonequa Martin-Green's going to dial the face acting up to 2010. <laughs> you're going to feel even yeah. more feelings. Grudge is just going to be really rude to Paul for no reason other than it's <laughs> funny and it's just really nice. And then at the end yeah, he's going to have no. a big message that's like, I love you, go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that was uh, my, my, one of my notes is everyone at the end of this episode is implied to be bagging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The entire discovery, the therapy. entire discovery, the entire way back is just one big fuck party. <laughs> everyone goes to everyone they want to have sex with and just does it there and then. Have sex um, and go to therapy. That was the message yeah. of this episode. Don't mix those two things together, though. That's not a good idea. Unless it's you know Wilson Cruz. I think you should have therapy and then have sex with Doctor Culver. <laughs> That's that's his uh, sexual nickname is Cucumber. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but no, like I, I don't. I'm not saying last episode. It was probably a really great episode of Star Trek because I had really strong feelings about it and really okay. like you could you could you could love and you could hate that last episode. But for me. I like this. In fact, I would say I really like this episode. It's probably a seven or an eight, and I don't. And I use the full ten point scale. My <laughs> sevens are, are well earned, but it's not going to be like it's not going to be an episode that I think of as a great, amazing thing. It's an episode I'm going to watch when I'm rewatching season four. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like uh, so when I said that it's an episode that nothing happens in, I sort of said that on purpose because I thought it might trigger Maddie. Um, but <laughs> it's, but it's uh, <laughs> it, I. If we do this podcast long enough now, we know how to bait you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I really like this episode. Um, I prefer this episode yeah. to episode one that we looked at last week. But um, the, I, I think you're right when you say it's a character-driven episode, Maddie, and that's what I like about it is that all the things that we said about last week's episode that were a bit negative, like the characters sort of do things that you can't really understand the motivation for. And they do things that are kind of stupid when you look at the characters and the way they've been developed over the last three series. And then suddenly they put them in situations that are stupid and make no sense. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like this sort of counteracts that a bit where you see Burnham. I, I, I think the, the scenes between Burnham and Booker, um, when they're when they're alone together, show the 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 sort of development of, especially Michael Burnham's character, uh, having sort of come from being the cold kind of uh, Vulcan type character in season one to being a character who can empathise with people and can and is actually quite a a sort of caring, nurturing partner to to Booker, which you didn't really get to see when she was in a relationship with um, 
uh, Ash Fandango. Tyler. With Clem Fandango, indeed. Um, yeah, because they so, had yes. no chemistry. Exactly. Yeah, they had no chemistry, whereas Booker and Michael have chemistry. And Sonequa Martin-Green and David Ajala have chemistry together on screen in the same way that Paul Stamets and Hugh Culber have chemistry. And, and the actors who play each of those characters also have chemistry. And that's what... That's why the casting is so good in in the, this series, and the the you know Blue Del Barrio and uh, Ian uh, forgotten his surname, but the actor who plays uh, Ian Gray, Alexander. yeah, they they have chemistry. That's All of so the couples cute. in this series have good chemistry between the actors playing them, uh, and I think that shows a lot more. And I'm more interested in watching uh, sort of emotional. Uh, relationship scenes that develop relationships between characters who I believe would actually be in a relationship in real life. And it's why I hated seeing any kind of romantic scenes between Michael and Clem Fandango because it was stupid and it didn't make sense and I didn't believe it. So mm-hmm. like I had no interest in watching it. Whereas the, 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 with the exception of... So my favourite bit in this episode I'll come to in a minute, but this my second favourite thing about this episode is seeing Michael and... Uh, Michael and Book and Michael and Saru's interactions. Yeah, that was really nice. Yeah, my, my favourite uh, scene in this is... Uh, well, multiple scenes, I suppose, but my favourite sort of story arc in this is putting Paul Stamets and, uh, and, and Booker together and giving them a scene on their own together because i think that's a really interesting thing for the writers to have chosen to do yeah they didn't they could have just made that booker on his own they could have made it booker and uh michael or something like that but they chose to put two characters who you wouldn't normally see together together in a scene that are sort of diametrically opposing characters in terms of their kind of energy that they bring to things absolutely but seeing them together and seeing the conflict between them and then the resolution of that conflict, but it's only a partial resolution because you can still sense there's a bit of... And, you know, I, I just believed all of the stuff in it. Like, I didn't feel yes. like it was Hollywood putting people together and then magically they got, no, they got the on again at the end. the conflict was manufactured. All of the character conflict was really driven by the way that you feel these characters actually are, unlike <laughs> episode one which we spoke <laughs> about at length. But yeah, like you I mean, totally, one... like you're so right. Buck and Paul have completely opposite energies. Like you yeah. just, there's just no way they would ever be friends, ever. And yeah. unless they were, you know, forced together. And so it was really nice seeing them kind of bounce off each other like that. And yeah. I mean, one thing, one thing that I, I, I've heard sale be, be said a lot about Next Generation is that Next Generation is in some ways a model for professional working relationships yes. and office relationships. And I think that's true. But I think, obviously, it doesn't... It, it will increasingly not hold up like that. Not because any of the characters get any less professional, but the working environment just changes. And sure. I don't think the problems and stuff we talk about at work now and have going on in our lives are quite the same. And Discovery almost takes that to continues that in a way that it is both still a professional working environment yes but they are more willing to deal with the effects of this crew particularly discovery because they're isolated from anyone previous you know Mm -hmm. uh, enterprise d could pop home and see their parents so to speak you know take shore leave and see family and have family around discovery 
doesn't have that outside the ship. This is much more like a... It's a ship that is more like a... Deals with issues of what happens when humans have to live together. Yeah. And work together. And, you know, because Tilly's... Tilly is almost learning how to manage people. But, yeah. Like, that's her arc. It's it's not... It, it's really reductive. It doesn't sound at all exciting when you say that. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> she shouts at Adra, and Culver is just like, hey, she looks up... They look up to you. Don't don't be a dick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and they're... Um, nah. and, 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 and she's... Uh, she, Tilly, is... Um, then, like, makes an effort to kind of reinforce, like, yeah, you are doing good. Look, it's just a lot of pressure. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, that kind of thing. And that bit of um, that bit of Tilly's character is explored quite a lot in episode four of this series as well, which I think oh, will cool. be really cool to, to talk about when we get to it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, I yeah, I, I think, <laughs> like, because like, like I said, this episode, not, Although, like, there is action in it, you know, there's there's peril and stuff to keep the the pace up with Booker and uh, and his ship nearly like getting lost or destroyed or whatever. It, it we still don't really, you know, that storyline could have been done in twenty minutes, but they pan it out to forty five minutes or an mm. hour because they recognise the importance of these intercharacter arcs and the, and the personal arcs of those characters. And a lot of them depend on being in a pressured situation. Like, they, they really make use of a sort of contrast of cinematic time, is, mm-hmm. is what I... So, like, I was, I was admiring that beautiful shot work of run, basically a running camera between where Tilly and Adra are on their kind of science stations back of bridge yeah. into the command centre and back again. All of that kind of thing. Because that really gave, gave a like sense of pace and thing. Yeah, like, that's true. We don't have a lot of time. We can do this. Meanwhile, the crisis on Booker's ship, same crisis happening, same pace in reality, much slower. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you've got that sense of Booker being drawn off into his own mind, his own world, being oblivious to things. They slow down the effects. They slow down stamets. They slow That's down just, his vision. I've got, I've got a headcanon about this, right? So I think that that is possibly a directorial choice that's done on purpose because they that we've established that the um, that the uh, the anomaly is a black hole. Uh, and they are closer to the black hole, where obviously time is stretched closer to a black hole than. That is so, so clever. I I hope that's I hope they've done that on purpose because that that would be really cool if they've made that kind of in detail kind of science, uh, bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm gonna be really disappointed if it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, we you, you so like we said last week the um the the sort of big plot line of this whole series is going to be this anomaly right and they set that up last week and this week we get to we get a bit more information about that um so i wondered what you guys thought of what we've learned about that so far whether you've got any theories or any sort of uh predictions or anything like that about what you think is going on yes matty you've got your yeah. hand up like an eager school child i have i have a red shirt's head cannon right so okay. you know how they make I say they. I think Culber and some like a machine probably makes um, Gray a new body in this episode, but it's yes. a synth body. 
Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, oh, like the cards. suing method. Ha, ha, ha. References to Star Trek Picard because this episode is full of Easter eggs for no reason. Um, <laughs> I, my theory is that it's an evil synth and that the oh. synths are creating the black holes to blow up planets. Oh, interesting. Okay. That, that's, uh, that's an interesting <laughs> theory. So are you suggesting that the specific synth that Grey is being made is an evil synth, or are you suggesting there's a separate evil synth who's in charge of the black hole? I appreciate that there are holes in my head cannon, and I had not thought that far ahead enough to fill those holes. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw a synth and went, oh yeah, synth! <laughs> Robot army, Terminator, mm. evil! Blah! Yes. Yeah, but they specifically are like, oh, it's not successful. Because a bunch of people... I mean, to be fair, I do think the synth bit in Picard was a bit silly. But um, the, um, the the bunch of fans were like, well, since of her death, it's completely pointless now. No one can ever die. And I'm like, okay, look, let's review every instance in Star Trek from the beginning where someone should be like, fucking dead and they are not dead <laughs> yeah or they literally actually die and then they don't i mean culber referenced the fact that he's supposed to be dead in this fucking episode <laughs> yeah, exactly and then you've got like like no vulcans could ever die ever because you know they could just put their catcher in other people doesn't have to be a, a, a vulcan and they all are like oh the rejoining in um search for a spot, but he's better after wearing a dressing gown for a bit. Um, <laughs> like, you know, the Picard gets better from the Borg. You know, like, yeah. Data Data's yeah. uh, head explodes off him at one point and he's still fine yet, in, after yet, the end of that two-parter. Yet, like, you know. Yeah, Natasha Yar is dead and never comes back. <laughs> yeah. And Kes, you could Kes only never... die if your contract is up. And then Ke- um, Ke- or if you become a bit problematic and then Star Trek Voyager fire you for someone yeah. and get someone sexier to come and join in. Uh, so Nathan, what, what are your thoughts about the anomaly and what you think might happen and what you think <sighs> is going on there and, and what do you think of it as a Okay, plot so device? this is... I want to be clear because I feel like as the analytical person on the podcast, I am always overtly negative and critical about everything. <laughs> <laughs> they always come to me and I'm always like, well, here are my problems. And I want to make it very clear, I do regard this episode highly. <laughs> However, here are my problems. Um, <laughs> part of the problem is, like we said last week, it's like, oh, it's big evil space thing. Um, I'm just like, it's big evil. Sure. Well, it's not even evil. It's not going to have, like, my bets are this anomaly is caused by some kind of accident or some kind of weird thing. Some people, either with noble intentions or completely innocent intentions, cause this thing to happen. Um, the Discovery crew have to fix it through sciencing at it and the power of friendship. <laughs> because that is what happened last. That's what happened last season. Season two, there is a, li- a a bit more malevolent intent, but that's what happened. And the mirror universe in season one is effectively a natural phenomenon. Like yeah. it, it's. N- I know it's a bit weird because it's alternate versions of everyone, but it, it it's sort of the same thing. And there's a lot of me that's like, yes, I know. And, and this is what really undermines this episode for me because I do like, I like the character moments, uh, but uh, they're not just because of my nature and the fact that I'm an unfeeling robot. Um, <laughs> uh they're not. They don't draw me to a show as much as other stuff. Like I like them being there. They're important. I enjoy them. I will probably watch a million YouTube convocations of all of the good <laughs> moments between certain character pairs. 
set to music, but um, it's not why I'm watching Discovery. It's not why I'm watching any show, right? Like, um, a- any of the shows I like that I think have excellent character mm-hmm. moments between them, it's probably not what draws me to them and what not really what keeps me watching. So the problem I have with this episode, and I'm like, we're going out to... It's exactly what Maddie said. We're going out to get to, to solve this black hole data, and I'm like, and the episode just doesn't do enough to stop me in my cynical analyst critical hat going, yeah, but one, it's episode two, so this isn't going to solve... You're going to reveal a bigger problem, or this data won't solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Because this is going to be your seasonal arc villain, I can just tell that. You wouldn't have blown up a major character's home, too, <laughs> if it wasn't. And it, and if you did, then it wasn't. That's not a clever subversion, that's just a pain in the ass <laughs> waste of my time. And you're cleverer than that discovery. Two, um, I know you're going to do this. Like, I know, I just like, you didn't kill the captain when you sent her out of an airlock in episode one. You're not going to kill her love interest, um... On the comms, the the, the the next time. Like, you know, I just know you're gonna... And I'm like... And I know what's gonna happen is... Um, Book will struggle to open up and then, you know, Burnham will or, or Sta- and or Stamets will reach out to him and, and pull him back from the brink. Like, it's just like, yes, I know where all of these things are going. Could we get there, please? Okay, right. And... Right, Nathan. But- <laughs> Now, it would be substantially shitter if they did it like that. that is Maddie's going to kick your ass now. That Nathan is unfeeling <laughs> and doesn't care, and also so bright that he apparently like, oh, I already know like how the whole episode, yeah. the whole series is going to go. Well, fuck off. I don't know how the whole series. I think Nathan well caused the anomaly. If I spend loads of time <laughs> looking into it, but I don't care about that. I want to see people make jokes and cry and have fun and do nice things together. Piss yeah. off. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm a happy medium between the two of you when it comes to Discovery because <laughs> Maddie wants that, the... I want the emotional interaction and I want the characters yeah. and I want all those kind of like filler scenes. and Yeah, and like... I, I, I think Maddie would watch Discovery if there was no big, big bad plot element and it was just <laughs> like a, you know, it was basically just like a soap opera about all the characters who, like a workplace comedy or something like that. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Or is Nathan? To be fair, that is that is red shirts. Not not us. The the oh lower decks. That's what it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that is lower decks, and I do love that. Program. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But and but I think when it comes to discovery, I'm I I want a good mix of the character stuff, which I appreciate both as a Star Trek fan and a fan of of script writing and drama and stuff like that. But also, I want a good plot that is uh, mm. you know um exciting and that makes me want to keep watching and and uh, this is my and we'll we'll have this conversation as we watch more of this series my major sort of ongoing issue with this series is that i am interested i'm i'm sort of intrigued by what's going on in the major plot but also i don't care that much i'm just watching it because it's there and because the the i enjoy looking at the characters doing things that the characters are doing i'm not that bothered about what I don't feel particularly like there's a big drama or like a big intrigue about what's going on or what what what's happening. Not like mm. I felt with season one of Discovery, where I I was really invested in the plot and what was happening and what was gonna and you know it was like oh is uh, Clem Fandango a, 
a human or is he not? Is he or is he actually a secret, uh, a secret um, Klingon or, or whatever? You know, all of that stuff I was much more into then. Whereas this, I'm sort of like, yeah, there's a big sort of nasty space yeah. disaster. Think, yeah. Yeah, this, this it's all, a big this thing all... that has no like discernible creator, no discernible. Yeah, like, yeah. It's just oh, it's and, just an evil natural. Dis- oh, it's just a natural disaster. Oh, it's another. I think natural- my problem. My, I think my problem with that is, um, I think the reason I'm more negative towards that is just because I feel like I've seen Discovery do that. Like I don't think I would mind it as much if the, um, if the. Um, villain. I mean, I would also. I am willing to bet money that around, let's say, is it a ten episode series? Yeah, it's split into two sections. So around episode five or six, so that there is something revealed that is the entity behind this entity. Right. I like either an evil villain co- collective or some other bullshit that is so, not this. So this is that's what happened with the Emerald Chain. It's what happened with <laughs> Section 31. So this, and it's what happened with the Klingon War. <laughs> so this is uh, where we get to my theory about what's happening in this series, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll try to do this without any spoilers for the next couple of episodes. So I've seen up till episode six, which is mm-hmm. where the series takes a break because uh, the, the final four or five episodes aren't released until next month, right? So... Um, so I don't know what happens after season six, uh, after episode six. Um, I still don't know who is behind the 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 whole plot, right? I'm trying to do this without any spoilers. I don't know who's the the big baddie yet in this series, but I have a theory that it's the Borg, right? Um, and there's been absolutely no reason to believe it's the Borg. There's no spoilers. No one's ever said, oh, this might be the Borg. No one's ever sort of dropped any hints that it might be the Borg. It's probably not the Borg, but my my extreme headcanon is that uh, that I would love to see happen is that it, in in the second half of this series they open it by going, "Hey, guess what? It's the Borg." And <laughs> like and that's how they bring the Borg into the the uh, 32nd century or whenever it is that they are now, like a thousand years in the future, they find a way of going, "Oh, look, after what happened with the Borg in uh in the next gen times and after the the films and everything and uh, they they found a way to to mm. you know get them back into the world or like or it took them this long to be able to redevelop or something like that uh, and I would really like that I would really I think it would be really cool for Star Trek Discovery to start using legacy characters that they haven't used before because what I really enjoyed about. I like that they are bringing new characters into it and bringing new worlds into it and bringing new mm. concepts into it. But I do think it loses a bit of its Star Trekness by not having so much of that. You know, All the only the only Star Trekky sort of legacy species that we see in Discovery anymore are Vulcans. Um, well, there's Ferengi. And well, you see, you no. see a Ferengi every now and then, just but they never do yeah, anything. Yeah, but like, okay, they're not so important. All of this. All of this brings me on to a, a point that was really emphasised for me with the like recap and a few other bits about this episode, which is a more general discovery point, that I really feel instinctively now, season one and two, season three and four, different shows called the same name. Right. <laughs> right? Because they, like... 
Because they did the recap and it recapped a bunch of because it recapped a bunch of Grey's story that they didn't have time to recap in season in episode one, one uh, yeah. season four episode one because they had a lot of shit to tell us. Fair enough, but um, I I really feel now they feel like such different shows. And I was thinking about this when you were talking about your where you stand on the whole plot, character, motivations of watching and stuff. And I think a lot of that, like, a lot of a lot of my criticisms of season one and two were entirely based around it being a little too stuck in Star Trek, almost wallowing in it. You know, I, how many times have I said on this podcast, if we let Spock go, we could, we could go somewhere, <laughs> you know, because Spock's just such a storied legacy character now. It's difficult to interact with him long term. Uh, even though, you know, I, I'm not one of those people who think, meh, Burnham being related to Spock is the worst thing in the world and no one cares about anything. <laughs> but um, I, 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 it does, it, I think it did tie them into a corner, story writing-wise. Spock has to leave Discovery. Spock cannot stay with them Agreed. or interact with them. <laughs> because, so, now they've jumped into the future and I think... Discovery's grown up and become a better show, but it's lost some. It's it, it, it not not without cost, and some of that cost is um, familiarity in some ways. The the references they can do are things like this was first tried on Admiral Picard. Oh, do you want to be captain of the Voyager? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, these yeah. are names we've heard, things we've heard, but they now have to sort of rely on their own um stock and trade their own <laughs> it's almost like in in tng seasons one early season one definitely and it started to break down even even by late season one but the early season of tng they had a rule that's like okay other than the klingon on the bridge uh, we are not allowed to bring tos era stuff so we can't have andorians we can't have romulans we can't have you know, and then they threw that out of the window because they realised that it wasn't working, and then they brought in. Yeah, and and now Discovery's kind of got to this place where it's like, oh well, because we're so far ahead and so far away from the rest of it, we can't do that. So it's lost some of that, but I still think season three and season four are a better show than season one and season two overall. It's and it's lost the capacity to. It's lost a lot. Well, unless all my predictions about season four, which I haven't watched yet, are completely wrong, <laughs> it's lost a lot of capacity to surprise me. I don't think I was as surprised by season three as I was season one and two. At the same time, I enjoyed it a lot more, perhaps because I'm boring and want familiarity, or perhaps because it didn't blindside me with stupid shit constantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I'm, I'm really interested to because this, this is a weird position for me where I it's the first time in the podcast's history where I know more than Nathan about something to do with mm. Star Trek. And, Relish uh, this moment, Jake. It will never come again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I don't think your Borg theory is right, though. I, oh, no, neither, I neither do I, but I want it to be. Under one condition. Yeah. yeah. They can't be normal Borg. They have to be okay. sparkly disco Borg. <laughs> <laughs> because I want something that just completely clashes with the entire colour palette of the rest of Discovery, which is mm. all... Very blue, very grey, very kind of like a metallic. I want the Borg to come in and be like neon sparkles. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing for nothing that I, I, I appreciate it a lot more. I just, I just want to point out, Nathan, you're telling us all of these things for nothing. I'm not paying you. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm paying myself. I'm not giving you a cut. Um, <laughs> um, Nathan's but... lying. We've actually got an audience of five million listeners, and he's getting. <laughs> he's been. Yes, this makes yes, all those. We've got an audience bigger than the show we talk. <laughs> this. this um, can you imagine if we got to the point where we were more? We were more popular than Star Trek. <laughs> I doubt. Like a dream, Harold. Star Trek would have to anyway, start talking um, about us in their show. <laughs> We'd take the cameo, though. Oh, yeah. I would All absolutely of take a cameo <laughs> in Star Trek, if you're listening, Alex Kurtzman. Uh, if you want three anyway, red shirts thing- to sit in the background in a cafe and, like, <laughs> with microphones... Um, I'd I'd be the three crew members that die. It would be my greatest um, <laughs> honor to die on an episode of Star Trek. Oh yes, so much. Yeah. I would love that. I, I really I I want and I want a right. If you're gonna if if you were an actual red shirt in Star Trek, I'll get onto the serious point I was gonna make. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Any series you want, any 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 ship, any like you know how how do you want to go out? Because for me, I want the classic TNG. Brace for impact, console explosion, death. <laughs> like, like, just the, like, because I want to throw myself away from that console and be as happy as possible. Oh, um, that's a good question. How would you want to and die? I, and I so die so that Troy ends up commanding the bridge so that we've got the disaster episode. Yes. What would you di- how would you want to die as a red shirt, Maddie? I would want to say something comical just before I die. Like, sir, there's a photon torpedo incoming. And then, <laughs> and then I would want to dry really dramatically. So maybe like beheaded by a Klingon, like yes. all of the rest of the crew. Maybe like strung up and crucified. Like I want it to be as dramatic as possible. That would be great. I would. I think I would either like. I'd either like to to like to die in a. Um, in a transport uh, accident where like, <laughs> yes. where, like, half of my body t- transports back to the ship and then the other half gets, <laughs> like, so, like, it, it, the, it, the beaming thing happens, all the rest of the, the bridge crew are fine, but then they look around and there's just, like, half of my torso <laughs> and then, like, and the rest of me is, like, and I'm cut in half and the re- <laughs> something like that would be cool. Yeah. Or I would like to be blown out of an airlock and then explode oh, in yes. space. Oh, yes, nice. but then yeah. I want to, I want my body, if that happened, our bodies would have to float past the window, like, crystallised, yeah, 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 yeah. like, the yeah. goofy expression. Like in, uh, like in season mm-hmm. one with, with the, yeah. the, the... But, no, actually, I wouldn't want to be blown out of an airlock because that would be too, like, that would give me too much agency. Like, it would feel like that there was an important, like, someone would have to blow me out of the airlock. What I want is for, to be walking down a corridor, and then for the hull to breach, and then I get sucked out into space. Yeah. Like, and then they have to put up a, like, a um, a force field to stop other people getting sucked out into space. I think that's what I would do. Speaking of red shirts, the thing I was going to uh, mention... Because, Maddie, you said it looked all, like, grey and blue and things. I think something I now appreciate, having not really noticed it before, is that the new uniforms just add shit tons of colour to the show. Yeah, yeah. so much. I think they realised they had too much grey. And they were like, fuck me. I mean, I understand that maybe in series two, they were like, let's slightly tone down the, like, neon... The (laughs) the absolute (laughs) neon of, like, Pike's crew shirts. But... But yeah, I think they've got the balance right now, and they and I think they do pay a lot of attention to kind of contrasting like the corridors of the ship versus the bridge mm. versus the inside of book ship versus what's going on in space. I do think they do pay attention to try and not just all be like you know very monotone. Um, I 
I wonder if they've done the if they've had the uniforms planned for well in advance of of the last couple of series and they've done it on purpose where the the nah. the, the uniforms were meant to be uh, like the the grey uniforms in the last series were meant to be representative of the fact that the the Starfleet and the Federation during that period aren't what we know them as and then they've gone they've put the colour back in this series because the Federation's become a thing again and it's getting back to being more like what the Federation used to be oh, in the maybe. past. Oh, yeah. I like that. I really like that. And if I was the head of the wardrobe department and I received that as my brief, I would say absolutely go fuck a rock. <laughs> 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 but like as a headcanon, I really like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing that it, that it kind of... Because I'm looking at... I, I pulled up some Google pictures of Discovery's Bridge. Mm-hmm. And it is the one thing they they do change. So that looks to be... that's they, they, They've made it... They've very minorly altered the colour balance mm-hmm. of the ship. Um, it's a lot bluer, actually, in later... In what looks to be later seasons, compared to a like golden frame on um, sh- what looks to be shots of Saru in command, so that'd be season three, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but then, um, I also think another thing about kind of um, the visual design is that in season one they made a whole plot point about how obviously that captain and the mirror universe people wanted it darker, so mm. Discovery was was darker. Um, which always struck me as a like, a, do you get it? Do you get it? Have <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, um, because as we've said this before, Discovery is great and all. It's got great themes, but subtlety is not uh, is not a <laughs> knife they subtlety? wield very well. If they're gonna go yeah. to the evil universe, I want everyone to be sexy, ripped, and wearing yeah, eyeliner. <laughs> no, no, I agree. And they fucking they 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 love that mirror. Like they do the mirror universe better than oh, anyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but. Yeah. I, I will say that, like, it was a plot point that their sets were all dark for that reason. Yes. And then they just seemed to forget to lighten them again <laughs> until now. Just like, shit, we've got, to, we've got to turn the lights on again. That's my my headcanon is that in, in season one, the, uh, the the Mirror Universe characters who came to the uh, Prime Universe, like, installed dimmer switches on everything. <laughs> And then when they all left, no one understands the technology of dimmer switches in the in the future. So like they they've just got they think they're just on and off, and they're like, oh, we can't do anything with these lights. That they're, they're just permanently dim. They're stuck dim. like that. All or you've got to do, Michael, got, is turn it around. They've all got like massive body insecurity, and they're like, oh, I think this low lighting is flattering for me. Like when I'm staring <laughs> at Lieutenant Bryce across the bridge, I want him to like not notice this mole on my left cheek because <laughs> this episode is all about body shaming people with moles. <laughs> this is an interesting point that I've thought for a while about Discovery is that um, it's one of the only sort of big, proper like. It, it, popular shows at the minute that I can think of that has a a cast that aren't all mega like um sort of model attractive like bodies they don't have like the not you know oh I don't know there I mean there are obviously people like that like Sonequa Martin Green is like you know is is has done modeling and stuff but like but then there are I don't want to name the characters that or the actors that I'm thinking no, that would particular. be mean. But, I, but there I, are characters I, and, and actors in this that aren't the... They don't look like Insta-influencers. They don't yeah. look like the cast of a CW teen drama. 
Yeah, like, exactly. Like, they, they look like normal people yeah, is what they, I'm trying to they say. Look you know, like, some yeah, of them have got... Averagely attractive... But yeah, still, but you can got... imagine walking past them on the street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, still, they, they're, they're, they're still a character. More... There are main characters who have got like a, a tummy, or have got a big bum, or have got like you know a, 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 a um, an interesting not, nose, not, or like yeah, or not a strong jawline, or yeah. something like that for the men. Or I whatever. suppose, but then like middle aged Trek isn't full of like. I don't know. Funny. I think it is. It's it's full of. I don't think any more so than the, Discovery. I think like, the reason Look at the faces on the beat. Like, yeah, you might be right about the rest of their body, but the faces okay, on okay. the Discovery I think the people are fucking gorgeous. Jake's noticing it, and the reason it stands out is because I do think it's unusual for such a big budget, flashy drama that's obviously so interested in aesthetics in every got, other yeah. way to yeah. also not be holding all of its cast members to ludicrously high body image, like sort of stereotypical body image standards so yeah if you can comp- if you're comparing it to other star trek then no it's it's very much absolutely what star yeah trek but you do done. raise a good if point because then i think about the flash or like like any picard. show on the CW. picard's a, a better direct comparison because yeah. i think for all, for all i love picard every person on picard's bridge is um like toned and with the exception of Patrick Stewart but he only gets away with that because he is Patrick Stewart. Yeah exactly but like I I think you're right Maddie that's what I was sort of getting at is that like it's um no I get what you mean I I think it's it's and I think it's probably doing that on purpose in the same way that it's flying the flag for diversity in other areas like uh sort of race and gender and sexuality it's also doing the same for body images and uh and you know it's it's showing that like you, you Guess what? Fat people can go to space. Ooh. Yeah, and also, and also, it's being like fat people can be badass and really cool and very attractive. And like, be still. good at their jobs and like live, yeah, and yeah. exist in society as people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it's, I think that's excellent. Um, but that's something I just noticed watching it again recently um, mm. that I hadn't okay. really sort of kind of consciously thought about until thinking about discovery for the podcast but i think it's a great thing i think and lo as someone who uh, struggles with my body image and and my weight and what i think about my the way i look and stuff like that it's it's really encouraging to see people who look like they would look like me if they took their tops off on 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 the screen oh um, that's nice and you know what else is nice is that like for all that you know they are a little bit more diverse in body image and stuff like that than like a, mm-hmm. like you know another comparative sort of big budget superhero show or whatever mm-hmm. um they 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 all do look hot as fuck like there's obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. been a lot of like tilly who is kind mm-hmm. of like the obvious one that everyone's like oh my god i can't believe you cast like a woman who's more than 9 pounds yeah. to like <laughs> appear on our screens we must all kill ourselves um she is so beautiful and they've clearly yeah. they put loads of effort in this series into her hair and makeup. I think she looks even more beautiful than ever before. Like her hair is particularly sleek. They've re-dyed it. They've like given her these like cute little eyeliner wings that she didn't yeah. previously have. They've given Michael Burnham a terrible wig to distract from it. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like they're like, yeah, we're gonna show off the we're gonna show off these bodies. We're gonna like actively be like, look at this body this di- slightly different, you know, it's not like Mary Wiseman is like a really obese person on it or anything no. but still for tv she is heavier than or fatter mm-hmm. than the average like celeb that appears on telly so yeah they're like we're gonna 
but we're going to like showcase how attractive these people are just looking themselves, which I think is really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think Nathan was going to make a point about something completely different about 20 minutes ago, and then we just steamrolled at him talking <laughs> no, about how well, we were going to um, die in, if we were in Star Trek. <laughs> uh, that, I, I, that was more about the uniforms and stuff. I managed to cleverly circle back around. But one thing I was going to tell you about, because I may as well bring this up, this is something I found out about um, on that train ride with those cool people on the way to Destination Star oh, Trek. Yes. I mean, looking for an opportunity to tell you. Do you know Mary Wiseman is... Um, Married to Noah... The Sexy Andorian. Uh, the Sexy Andorian, whose last name is, uh, I apologise, very difficult to say if you're reading it for the first yeah. time. Um, the, um, I did not know uh, this, but cool. Yeah, they, but yeah so they're cute. married. They were sat next to each other at Star Trek, Des- Destination Star yeah. Trek. Oh, because they're, they're married and I only realised after we left. I was no, like, I oh. didn't know Yeah, that. no. But, um, uh, Noah... Obviously, like he's connected to Star Trek quite a lot, and his his wife is filming a lot. So one of the things he does is he plays um, he plays Star Trek Online. Oh right, um, and he's not a gamer in any way, but he Twitch streams him playing uh, <laughs> uh, Star Trek Online. One of his ships was named after after Mary or after like Tilly, I think. <laughs> and um, but it was it was it was when he was trying out the ship that's one of the ships that's like. In, in gaming quite like very good at dealing damage not so good at taking it so it'd blow up a lot and it was just like oh my wife's blown up I've <laughs> <laughs> exploded my wife <laughs> um, and and like it, it's just his Twitch stream is great fun to watch um, <laughs> he's like he's like um, the Borg attack him at one point he accidentally holsters his weapon he accidentally holsters his weapon gets out a tricorder he's like no that's not what we do to these aliens <laughs> I need the phaser button <laughs> So good, and and then also the Discovery crew have got a Twitch stream called uh, Disco Does D and D, which is um, I'm planning to watch because it's got yes. uh, Blue Barrio. Yes, they mentioned um, that at the in one of the panels we saw them at. I remember. Yeah, yeah it... but every time I see that, because I've seen like um, uh, oh, what's Stamets' actor's Anthony name? Rapp. Anthony Rap. Anthony Rap. Yeah, Anthony Rap showed up just. Like total surprise on this charity stream I was watching that was a D and D thing once. So it was just like, I did not think a, a man as famous as you would turn up <laughs> with these random internet people I watch. But this is fun, and and the point I'm getting at is that cast feels like because I don't want to be mean about some of the Star Trek pre. Disco and do probably it. Picard Be as well. Do it, do it. But, all right, this crew feels like they like each other and get on outside of work in a way that I don't think I've seen in since um, D- middle DS Nine and TNG in particular. Because whenever you see TNG reunite, you see them having a lot of fun yeah. and really enjoying each other. You get a sense of friendship. Um, John, you know, not that they, their lives have all obviously taken very different paths and they don't all hang out anymore, but they really enjoyed being together. Mm-hmm. They tell stories about, you know, going for drinks after work and that kind of thing. Uh, DS9 does as well, but they acknowledge it took them a while to get there and took them a while to get the energy. Voyager, famously troubled. Enterprise, I, I don't know. And then, you know, the films and stuff, the, the Abrams verse. All of those actors seem perfectly lovely, but because they only reunited for 
a film shoot and then are all famous actors that go on to do other projects. Yeah. I don't think until Discovery you got the sense of that thing. And that probably is why their character moments are so good, because they understand each other as professionals and as friends. And it's not like it bleeds into it per se, but I think if you're friends with someone and work with them, you can kind of go, you know, I, I can imagine, you know, Anthony Rapp saying to uh, Mary Wiseman, oh, how are you going to how are you gonna play Tilly in that scene that I've read in the script that is nothing to do with me and nothing to, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. And, and I think you can tell they love it and they love doing yeah. it. So these, so episodes like this do hit better because there is a sense of behind the camera totally stuff. Totally agree. It's not going to make me love the episode as much as you guys do, <laughs> but I'm glad you two do enjoy it. And I think I still, I still really like discovering and still keep to watch all more friends. of this season. They are so totally friends. I completely agree. I think that really does come across. And you can especially tell that... And if you're not discovery actors, you fool. You've done a very convincing <laughs> yeah, You're job. even better actors than we thought you were. Yeah. Yeah, getting married just to, just to trick us. <laughs> That's the like, behind the scenes, Sonequa Martin-Green and David Ajala are like, I fucking hate you. And like, oh, no, actually, <laughs> well, uh, David Ajala can't hate anyone. We've met him. Oh, God, yeah. so well, Sonequa Martin-Green wasn't at Destination of Star Trek, so maybe she hates mm. the ball. <laughs> that, that is a joke. I'm sure that you get on with the <laughs> Sonequa Martin-Green. Please the, don't hate me. You can tell that the bridge crew all are really good buddies, especially the kind yeah. of the B-tier bridge crew, like, you know, um, Emily Coots and Awokerson and um, Bryce. And... Oh, do you want a shovel or a ladder? <laughs> <laughs> when I say B tier, I mean they're not. I mean they're not Tilly, Saru, and Michael. Yeah, I so, know what you mean. Yeah. I just, I just like to, to get you in trouble with Star Trek <laughs> actors. <laughs> does they're that, does that imply the existence of a C tier? Then they're Matthew, all A tier in, the in my heart. Yeah, C tier <laughs> is that random alien with the insect head that was there for one series and then disappeared, and they never <laughs> yeah. said where they went. The Saurian. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, <laughs> Uh, I I would like to see um, like you know you you made a joke about how this episode's full of Easter eggs that don't need to be there. Yeah. Um, my favorite. Uh, the, my head canon is that Morn is somewhere on board <gasps> Discovery. Oh uh, my god! Like he's stowed away. Yeah, and he <laughs> finds a way to move, to go back in time again to be at DS Nine later <laughs> oh. in the series. Plot twist: That's what the gravity wells are. It's Morn trying to break the time. <laughs> That's what it is. It's Morn trying to get back to DS9 <laughs> times so that he can go to Quarks. He wants. To, he doesn't. He doesn't want to miss happy hours, so he, he doesn't care about destroying the planet in the in the wake of it. Yeah. Speaking of wakes, can we get NASA to officially comment on the science of someone riding the gravitational wave from a collapsing binary black hole? <laughs> <laughs> what the I would... fuck? I, also, my favourite part of that whole plotline bit is um, at the end when you know when he's when book comes out safe and everything, and then uh, and then he's like gnarly waves, bro. <laughs> but then Saru says, um, like, uh, let's have a, a a round of applause for Commander Reese, who uh, Bryce, Bryce, sorry, yeah, they're, they're like let's have a, a round of applause for Commander Bryce, and then he says something like, let us all cultivate hobbies that are as life saving as as windsurfing or something like that. <laughs> And he and Bryce gets all of the credit for it. And I'm like, <laughs> it was it was Tilly and Adira's idea. Bryce just turned up and said, "That's a bit like this thing I do." That's not. Yeah. He's got absolutely no impact in this at all. Look, but he look, gets all of the credit. They're trying to make the bridge crew look important. Okay, people said they <laughs> yeah, but they, they they fucked it. They they fucked it by not having like this. This is another thing. Now I'm because 
I really am getting deeper on my these are two separate show theories because I'm now like remembering like Arium and uh, Landry and various other like characters that have not survived this time jump, even if their actors have and are now stood in the background <laughs> looking gormless. Um, but like it, it, it doesn't. It, it's not gonna make forcing references like that and not gonna make those bridge crew more important. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like having Detmer and OO work together and be more focused at the front is... Yeah. Um, and they do do that in the later episodes of this series. I think that it, it, it does get clearer that that's what they're doing. Um, yeah, and I assume the way I read this is that, to be fair to Bryce, like if you're just a really casual viewer, you probably don't even recognise him when he appears because he just stands behind mm. his wee screen and like presses buttons for the captain. But... Um, if you are paying attention, this is kind of like a nice way almost to like reintroduce him as a person who to put like a name to a yes. face. And then yeah. like if he gets an episode later in the series, which does focus on him a little bit more, then you can be like, oh, yeah, that was that the windsurfing dude. He's now like become a person that you should. Yeah, remember. that's fair enough, actually. Yeah, I think, yeah, giving them moments like that cements it in the audience's mind that this is a like character pay that attention we want to, to this focus. guy he might yeah. become a char- like an important character kind of thing yeah exactly um look we should probably wrap up soon is there anything important that you want to talk about this episode before we move on to the big questions i just put lots of crying faces in my notebook and then hearts <laughs> crying faces and hearts because of all the emotions that i was feeling um i did think it was really funny when tilly says tilly has a little cute little chat with culber yeah. And says that she really appreciates his light touch with everyone. And I was like, what the shit? Like, he's the most intense person on the whole <laughs> fucking ship. Like, every time he talks to someone, he's like, I'm gazing into your soul and I'm diagnosing all of your childhood trauma. Like, light touch is not the words that I would yeah. use to describe Hugh Colbert. Like, PTSD therapist is the words <laughs> that I would use to describe him. <laughs> I did love that scene, especially like Nathan made comment about this in the it's intro. It's so funny. When the way that they go- they say goodbye to each other when they are parting ways at the end of that little walk down the corridor. Um, and Hugh says, go save the world. And then she's like, she's I like, will. Yes, I will. In like a kind of funny little voice. And it's really cute. It's like, that's how normal people talk to each other. It's not like, that's not like some weird staged thing like yeah. that. You she can tell that. Silly. Yeah, you can see that that's like, that's a, an acting choice that they've made to play it like that, but it's but they've made that choice because they actually get on, and that's how they probably talk in real life. Uh, I, I think it was a really standout acting episode for Michael and for Tilly in particular, because I think we saw so much range from Tilly, like with the mm-hmm. silly side, the funny side, the way she like loses her cool and snaps at Adira. Um, yeah. And then the way that she, I love the way she delivered that line of controlled panic where she's like, Captain, we have a gravity wave coming in in two seconds. I d- she just delivered it yeah. so perfectly. And then also, on the other hand, I think Sonequa Martin-Green, it was just beautiful watching her like so obviously desperately, desperately caring for Buck and so desperately trying to weigh up like, okay, what's the captainly decision? What's the emotional Mm. decision? Am I letting my emotions cloud my judgment? Is he letting his emotions cloud his judgment? And just wait. And you could watch it all playing out on her face in a really beautiful way that they did not do in the first episode of the series. I don't know why. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just thought she was fantastic. I loved, 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 loved watching Michael in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, the, just on, on the, the subject of that line about the, it's going to be, bad news, it's going to be in two seconds. Yeah. That, that bit. 
my my least favorite line in this episode is from Zora, who we'll talk about more in other episodes. I, I imagine she becomes more of a a big deal at, as, as the series goes on. But um, but the bit when Zora goes, uh, the, uh, the 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 next anomaly will happen in now. <laughs> you're like <laughs> that's you, Zora. You're, Fuck that's, you. Yeah, Zora's like a massive bitch in this episode. <laughs> like. Look, to be fair to Zora, she lived on that ship alone for billions of years with nothing to watch except like 1950s sort of dancing videos. So I guess she kind of likes to get her kicks from watching people fly in the air. And That's true. Yeah, Zora's the YouTube's comic section. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the problem with that. I, I'd forgotten um, about that, that short Treks episode yeah. with where we learn about Zora as well. That's really interesting. We'll talk about that when later on this, as, as the series goes on, Zora... And her character arc becomes really important. Um, yeah, it did it. it did it, uh, that, that was that was the thing. Uh, Nathan made a mental note of it. Was like, oh, the computer has a name now. How interesting. How what a what a thing you have done. There. Yeah, is, the, I, is I think, the computer I like, I, going to try and fuck the captain like the computer does in TOS with Kirk? <laughs> or, or or you know, be like Command in season two. Um, well, that that's that's an interesting discussion to have and at a later date when we watch some more episodes. Are we, are we going to keep doing this? Are we going to watch uh, episode Let's three? Let's do it! Do I, I think we should. I'm, I'm quite enjoying doing time. it. I'm quite enjoying yeah. doing a little run of a series like this from the start to, yeah. to mm-hmm. as we go. Um, the listeners haven't complained because... Because all we five million. Yeah, <laughs> yeah yet, we haven't released um... last week's so That's why the listeners <laughs> haven't complained. Um, but... Uh, yeah, no, I think next week we'll we'll look at episode three, which I think is a really strong episode from this series and, and has some interesting things to talk about in it. Um, plus, I want to talk about how I uh, really ships... Uh, I, I ship Saru with uh, the... Um, uh, the president of Navarre and the... the <laughs> The Vulcan lady. I ship Saru with her so hard. Um, but we'll, what we'll the talk. Fuck? Love it. <laughs> we'll talk about that next week. Um, but we've got to answer the important questions before we finish this week's first. So, uh, first important question is who in this episode would we most like to see wearing a fez? I think when Paul goes to pack Grudge, Grudge and Grudge is like, <laughs> Grudge should yeah, be wearing yeah. a fez. Yeah, I like that. We get some good grudge acting in this series as well, which I'm looking forward to you seeing. Oh my god, um, another idea. Just as a way to like deeply undercut an extremely emotional moment. Like we're in an MCU flick when Book's watching those birds fly, the corpses of the birds fly towards him with tears <laughs> in his eyes. The the goose just like swings round and it's wearing a little fez. <laughs> or like every time he sees a vision his dead of, nephew. Of, of his dead nephew, the dead nephew's wearing He's a fez. Dressed as a clown, like ashes to ashes. I think that's a good shout. Um, I, it's hard to pick a, a character for a Fez in this episode because we don't have any external characters. It's all people we already know, so th- there isn't that much option. Um, I would quite like it if Bryce was wearing a Fez when he, uh, like, because if the actor had been like, look, I recognise that this this scene where I get to talk about windsurfing is going to be my big scene to get people to remember me. So in order to just make me extra memorable, I'm going to make sure I wear a fez on the set. Or and even better, that, um, the, the, like, there's just one member of the bridge crew that's really embarrassingly wearing a fez for four series. And then in this <laughs> episode, they're like, wait, wait. There's like this thing about wearing a fez that if you spin it in a certain direction, <laughs> you can ride the wave. And they're like, at last! <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> we've been no, planning wait. this for years! 
I've I've got it. I've got it. Who should wear the fez? It should be when when Grey first sees the um the synth body of Grey. It should have a fez <laughs> on it, and then Grey should be like she turned. Uh, you know, then Adira turns to uh, Culver and is like. He wants to know uh, if we can get rid of the fez. And then Corba's like, no, I'm sorry, the fez is, it's actually a load-bearing fez. Uh, we can, we <laughs> no, can't get rid of the fez. You can get better. rid of the mole on the hand, but you can't get rid of the fez. Even better, even better. Gray's like, please can I please can I um, just make a little adjustment? I, w- I just want to get rid of that mole. And then Adira's like, <laughs> Gray says that they really want a fez. No, no, I didn't say that. I said that. No, Grey's really clear. Oh. They have to wear a fez. And it has to be non-removable. It has to be part of the synth body. They need a fez. I'm, Adira, I'm telling you to get rid of them all. Yeah, and the fez has got to be really big and like neon and spotty. And Hugh Cole was like, well, I guess if that's what Grey wants. Yeah. Or, or if, if Hugh's like, yeah, we can get rid of the mole, fine. But the way he gets rid of the mole is just by putting a little fez over it. The best, <laughs> thing, the best thing about this is I, I, I've, I, I've had two thoughts in an order as like one I definitely troll Anna like that two I think that both Jake and Maddie would troll their respective partners <laughs> in the exact same Absolutely, way yeah. <laughs> which, which, which tells you a lot about <laughs> this podcast and the people on it um, the second important question for this episode is the Klim question a Klim is a space Karen so who in this episode is most likely to ask to speak to a manager uh, Zora. <laughs> Absolutely. Zora's a massive Karen. <laughs> <laughs> like, she only has a few lines, but they're probing with Karen energy. Yeah, there's a whole episode that essentially, that later on in the series, that essentially the plot is that Zora's a massive Karen and they need to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that, like, when Book is going a bit do lally and they're flying and and paul is like being flung around the ch- the ship paul wishes that he could talk to book's manager yeah <laughs> yeah that's definitely book makes it very clear he doesn't yes! have a manager <laughs> book like... is like i am the manager <laughs> yeah. or or grudge when uh when stamets turns up in hollow <laughs> form and grudge is like uh, I can't smell anyone. Uh, I hate you, stomach. Uh. Oh, this is sorry. Sorry to drag us back into analysis land, but I've just thought of a point that I haven't right. made. Um, that that I don't know why you've reminded me of this. Um, that one thing I really like. I was a bit cynical coming into this series that I thought Saru as first officer, which I I, I thought was quite likely, yeah. would work. I was curious to see how they'd handled it. Actually, this episode makes me think, just because he's been a captain and been senior to Burnham for so long, I was like, I wonder how they'll resolve mm-hmm. that. Actually, I think this sense of the way they do it is really well, because there's a sense of, we are equals, but it makes more sense for you to be in charge and me to do it this time, when last time it made yeah. more sense for it to be the other mm-hmm. way around. So, And there's a real like sense of colleagues and mm-hmm. e- equality in the in, in those two that works really well for this show which i really like anyway carry Saru, on with michael bromance is the heart and soul of discovery mm. yeah definitely yeah. um and the heart and soul of this podcast is uh asking which character in the episode is most likely to have tried to suck their own cock so <laughs> book he has nothing left to live for yeah but- <laughs> But a book probably has tried yeah. it, let's be honest. Book there's, there's succeeded. Like... His ship can, like, 
pull apart into like 20 different pieces. What do you think his body can do? <laughs> yeah, like there was no and his, way. And his powers. You know, David Ajayla, when, when, when he was on one of those panels, was like, oh, we'll see a lot more of my powers. Maybe that's what he meant. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, he can like empathically... <laughs> Grow his dick so that it meets in his mouth. Like he he's can empathically got, or at least my think he's anytime. sucking his own cock. <laughs> Sorry, Maddie. Do you want to say that again? <laughs> I said he can empathically touch my tits anytime he likes. <laughs> well, he's already asked you whether they're double D's when we met him. So. He did. <laughs> oh, I'll write it on my gravestone. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think it's definitely going to have to be book, isn't it? Like. Yeah, he he's definitely had a go, hasn't he? Um, there's no one else in this episode. Um, yeah, I think that's that's it's going to have to be booked for this episode. Um, n- next week we'll look at at episode three of season four, um, which I can't remember the name of off the top of my head, but it's a it's a good one I remember. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, uh, you can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at RedShirtsCast, uh, or you can send us an email, redshirtscast at gmail.com, if you want to talk about anything or you want to suggest something for the podcast or you just want to send us some crazy drawings you've done of us or something like that, uh, then you can do that. As always, you can go and listen to my uh, my stand-up album, Help I'm Trapped in the Body of an Adequate Comedian, which is on Bandcamp if you search for Jake Donaldson Comedy. Uh, you could pay about £10 for that. I think that's uh, that would be lovely and it would help me keep the lights on. But other than that, all that's left to say is live long and prosper and goodbye. 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 Bye. Bye.